You are listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. You can find us at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening. Great. Okay. So good to see you, as I said. Um, if for some reason the sun streams in, you know you can feel free to move. Uh, so we started a new message series last week. Uh, it's available on the website if you want to have a listen to it. We're looking at the parables of Jesus, and last week we were really setting the context for it. Um, and I'd asked any of you for uh, last week, we'll get to it in a second, but about different parables that would you, we would use in day-to-day language. So I want to ask that again because we have more people and it could be quite entertaining. So uh, in the Gospels, it is recorded that Jesus spoke 39 parables. We are told by John that Jesus did many other things as well, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for the books to be written. Quite incredible when you think about that. John 21, 25, that's when John said that. Are we therefore wrong to assume that he spoke many more than 39? Do you think that's a fair assumption? Okay, and you and I have the Spirit of Christ, and I believe that Jesus Christ is still using parables to teach us about the kingdom of God. So one of the things I am putting forward, or we're putting forward in this message series, is there may be parables present in your life. You just have to look for them and also be expectant that God wants to teach you something through them. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So who God is, he's spirit. We can't see him. He is invisible to the naked eye. But what he's saying is that I'm present and obvious out there. So if you can read that, you can read who I am and you can see who I am. And also, obviously, there's personal experience as well. And God made everything and he saw and said that it was good. So he is present in the earth, who he is, his invisible qualities, how trees grow, how the suns come, how the seasons come and go, and lots and lots of different things. And what is a parable? Well, a parable uses something familiar, something tangible and present and well-known to unravel and explain what is complex and make it simple. And in the Greek, it's made up of two words. The first word being para, which means alongside, like parachute um, in the Greek for uh, the Holy Spirit, paraclete, he's beside us. Parallel runs alongside. And the bowl, the word bowl, means to throw down. So basically, a parable is a throwing down alongside, okay? So you set something, Dallas Willard said, you set something down beside something else to explain what it is. And we have this dynamic present in our language. And this is where I want you to think of uh, different parables that we would use. So someone going through the counseling process is often told that uh, it's like peeling an onion. Okay, and Tishy unpacked it last week and said, it's because it's, la- it's layers. One layer comes off, and it's ridiculous when you think about it. For a complex process of counseling, we're saying it's like, it's like an onion. It's got many layers, and you have to peel them off. I suggested as well, uh, is the juice worth the squeeze? You're thinking about something that you need to do. We're currently looking at decorating, and I'm standing in every direction going, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Well, we're going to do it anyway, you know, but 
is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it setting that down alongside the circumstance and trying to figure out, do I want to do it and is it worth it? So can you think of any others? Can't see the wood for the trees, which means? Perspective. It's about perspective. Any others? Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Meaning? Meaning that it's safer to stay in the known than the unknown. Than to move into the unknown. Any others? <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. It's like eating an elephant. Have you heard that one? One bite at a time. Rome wasn't built in a day. Any others? A bird in the hands were through in the bush. Brilliant, absolutely, which means? Then what you don't have. Can anybody think of any others? Can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, which means? It's messy and painful and things have to break before it gets better. So many, and what did you say there, Amy? You can't make an onion without breaking some eggs. That's like something Ruth would say. <laughs> so basically, we use parables all the time. And my favorite one is you cannot ride two horses with one ass. I just think that is brilliant. When you're trying to figure out how to do something or you're, you've got two things going on, you, you can't, you've only got one bum and it has to be firmly placed. It might be a big bum. Some cheek you have, Tessie. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving alongside. So throwing down alongside to explain what is abstract and complex to us simply. So that's the point of a parable. Parables uncover what is secret and hidden. Parables are lenses through which we can focus and see clearly the truth. And parables are invitations to live life in the Spirit, to live life deeply and fully. And why did Jesus speak parables? Well, Dallas Willard said this, parables are given to us as an act of mercy to us because our hearts are hard. You and I know that if we take someone on with a hard heart, you'll get a harder heart still. And we love stories. They get under our skin and we process them and there are deep truths within them if we're willing to discover them. So they uncover our hearts and they uncover what is hidden to us. And we talked last week about the story of Nathan the prophet when, uh, when he went to David and David had had Uriah killed and um, he'd had an affair with Bathsheba and uh, Nathan came alongside and told him a story and David was raging and said, this man needs to come to justice. And Nathan, can you imagine the moment when Nathan said, you're the man? And David then declared, oh, I have sinned. Parables are powerful things because they very gently come alongside us and speak the truth to us in love if we have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit is saying and doing. So here's a question for you to consider. Did any of you come away from last week thinking, I wonder are there any parables in my life right now? And that's a question that you want to keep asking as we go through this. And today we're going to look at uh, the specific parable being the lost coin to unlock the, some of the truth that's present within it. And hopefully you'll come away going, there's much more here and there's more that I didn't comment on. But because we're looking at it, the Spirit's bringing some revelation to you as to what he sent through it. So the lost coin, you'll find it in Luke 15 if you want to turn to your Bibles there. 
It's sandwiched between two other parables, the first one being the lost sheep and the third one being the the prodigal son. And right in between is the parable of the lost coin. And I want to uh, read it together in the context in which Jesus spoke the parable of the lost coin, because it's important too. So it says, Luke 15, verse starting in verse 1, one day with many tax collectors, when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. And so he talked about, he told them three parables, and then he talked about the lost coin. And bridging from the first one about the the lost sheep, he said in verse 8, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins, which is equal to a day's wage, each one of them, and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice or celebrate with me because I found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, that is, changes in herself, his old ways of thinking, regrets past sins, and lives his life in a way that proves repentance and seeks God's purpose for his life. So we look at the context first because the context lets us see the situation the parable was spoken into and the heart attitudes of the people that are present and God's heart attitude, his motivation in the circumstances which is often profoundly different to ours. And we want to always be seeking the Hebraic worldview, which is what is the function of the symbol, rather than the Greek worldview, which is what we would normally have of what does it mean. And Andrew had reminded me that recently when we were doing some dream interpretation. So the question is, what is the function of the symbol rather than what does it mean? So if you have a dream and you dream about a boat, it's not about why is there a boat there, What's the function of a boat? Well, it allows you to cross over a body of water more easily than if you were trying to swim it. Carries you across and it's a mode of transport. So it's about transition from one place to another, maybe over an expanse that you didn't know you could cross. So just start letting your mind think in these ways as we go through this. The context of the lost coin is that the religious leaders of the day were offended that Jesus welcomed outcasts and ate with them. He embraced those um, in that those that had been cast out unlikely by them or by the law. And the Pharisees had decided and agreed that, that their worldview that they had was that they are not us and they do not belong or have the right to be with us. And it is therefore wrong for them to be with us as the religious authority. We are not right if we welcome them into us. So Jesus throws down this parable alongside their grumbling and their complaining, alongside their mindset, thinking, and heart attitude to give opportunity for transformation in the renewing of their thinking. Okay? So let's go into it. So the key symbols are, what do you think the key symbols are in the parable? Say it again. The coin, okay. What's next? The what? The lamp, absolutely. Any others? 
The action of the woman, yeah. She's a widow. I hadn't picked up on that. Any others? What did you say? No, okay. So I had the key symbols are the woman, the 10 silver coins, the missing silver coin, the lit lamp, sweeping the house, searching carefully until the coin is found, and then celebration in the finding. So a parable uses something familiar, something tangible and present, well known to unravel and explain what is complex to make it simple for us. And Dallas Willard said, just to remind you, parables are given to us as an act of mercy to us because our hearts are hard, because you don't want to take somebody head on whose heart is hard. It'll just make their heart harder still. So we want to bring some key verses together that Jesus spoke about himself that are helpful in unlocking it. First one being Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Second one, 1 John 3.8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And then third and possibly most importantly, John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Now, I went on a wee bit of a bunny trail this morning on a bit of a hunt. When you, I just thought to look up what the Greek word is for the word lost for the coin. The Greek word for the coin, oh, I hate it when it does that. Lost for the coin is exactly the same word that Jesus uses when he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So the word lost coin is exactly the same word as destroy. And the fullness of the meaning of that word, so it's apolemi, I think is how you pronounce it. It means away from, which intensifies to destroy, fully destroy, cut off. It implies permanent and absolute destruction, canceled out or removed, to die with the implication of ruin and destruction, caused to be utterly lost and perished by experiencing a miserable end. So can we agree that what we're talking about is not just a misplaced coin? We're talking about something that looks uh, be, kind of, well, really beyond hope. And I don't think that it's a mistake or just a coincidence that the Spirit would lead the writer to use the same word for steal, kill, and destroy and the parable that Jesus talks about and says a lost coin. Let me tell the story about the Christmas when I lost my car keys. And Claire had to come to me on Christmas Day and said, you are ruining Christmas Day because I had all of the sofas pulled out. I had ripped the place around. Every conversation I think I had with Claire was about those keys. I couldn't find them. And then I went to see the neighbor and said, we've lost our keys. I don't know whether they've been stolen in case you hear the car start up and it's not us. And she said... Why don't you check your bin? I remember finding my keys in the bin. Went into the bin outside and started hoking. Well, I had one of those litter picker things, so I started hoking. And there they were. There they were in the middle of all of the rubbish. Boy, was there great rejoicing in the Woodward household that day. I was delighted I'd find the keys, and Claire was just delighted that I had found the keys and wasn't going to keep looking for them everywhere. But I didn't think they were utterly destroyed and lost. This also begs the question, if you think that something is utterly destroyed and lost, why in heaven's name would you look for it? So 
So let's start here. Coin is lost. Jesus is communicating. It's utterly gone. Looks like a hopeless case. She had 10. She now has nine. Um, should she have not cut her losses and rejoiced in the nine that she had? The bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Well, apparently not. When we look at John 10, 10, have you ever noticed this? The structure of the verse is really interesting. Why did Jesus say, um, why did he not say, listen, I've come to bring life in all its fullness. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why would he do that? Any thoughts? Because is that not your reality? When you come to Jesus, do you come with life in all its fullness and life's a joy? Have we anybody here who's willing to put their hand up and said, my life was going great and I met Jesus and it just got even better? Anyone? Anybody? No, even Isaac's shaking his head. No, I don't think that that's our reality at all. When we look at John 10.10, 10, the structure's interesting. Why would he communicate why wouldn't he communicate what he can do first? Because surely that's the important bit. Jesus communicates what he comes with, what he brings to the table after, after he fully declares and acknowledges what the devil comes to do and likely has already done. He says, I, I mean this just, I think this is, pretty amazing because you cannot come to Jesus Christ and tell him this is beyond repair, that it's hopeless, that there's no point. The work of the devil is therefore not absolute and he is not all powerful and he does not have the final say. Jesus uses the word we translate as lost and have already gone through what it means, utterly perished. It's gone. Uh, it implies permanent and absolute destruction. And after using that word to describe the state of the coin, he communicates that he'll search until it's found, not as hard as he can, or he'll do everything that he can. He says, until. When all seems so utterly lost and hopeless, God lights a lamp and carefully searches the house to find what we cannot. Do you find that encouraging? God is able to do what we cannot even comprehend, and we're all familiar with the, oh, nothing's impossible for God, and with God all things are possible, and in a way, familiarity breeds contempt. But really, Jesus is saying, I get that it's been destroyed. It's not all over yet. That's who he is. He uses ways that are beyond our understanding, which is why we're told not to lean on ours. Now, you know that dogs hear in a, a degree and a, on a scale that we don't, don't they? So we can be sitting in a room that seems utterly silent and a dog can be howling because it hears something that's beyond our hearing. Isn't that right? Is it wrong to use that as a parable and say sometimes when we think that he is silent, he is working on a level and a range that we have no ability to comprehend yet? His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. That's why we're told not to lean on our own understanding. Finding what has been lost is likely and may very well be beyond our ability to find, but it's not beyond his. 
John 50, 20, or Genesis 50, 20. Joseph said this to these brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Genesis 45 and 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Romans 8, 28. And we rush to this when it all hits the fan if we're super spiritual, don't we? And God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And yet Jesus put first the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to bring life and life in all its fullness. So the woman in the parable owned 10 coins. They are hers and they belong to her. And obviously the woman represents God and the coins are individuals. So coins have value. God feels the loss of the one coin. He knows that what is lost still belongs to him. So he lights the lamp and sweeps throughout the house carefully until the coin, the person is found. And the coin may not be aware that it's lost, until it is a sense of being hunted for or it is actually found by the woman, by God. Have you found that God is relentless in his pursuit of you? You can't ask him to stop. And I, I think he would honor your request. He might wait and seize an opportunity later on. But he is relentless in his, his pursuit to make sure that you know that you're loved by him, that you have a purpose, and to make you whole. And the word for lamp in the Greek is lexnos, which is an oil-fed portable lamp, and usually it's set on a stand. What other verse can you think of that talks about a light being on a stand? Say that again. Don't hide your light, but let your light shine. And who was that about? About the church. And I think also, I want to suggest that specifically about us. So this is a suggestion and this is a subjective interpretation of it. So Jesus declared to us, like you said, Amy, that we're to let our light shine before men. And I want to suggest that the lamp that God lights and uses to search for what is lost is you and I. That God sets us alight by his spirit. You think about what, what lights your fire. What, what distresses you about what's lost about other people. What do you know deeply, personally and intimately about who God is and what he does? God sets us alight by his spirit and by the light that we have searches through us to find those who are lost. Have you experienced that? You're with someone and you just connect with their pain and you know that you're part of God's hunt for them and his rescue mission for their life. And of another suggestion, from what I know of God, how he numbers the hairs on our heads, how he assigns angels to us, how he numbers the days that we have, he knows our thoughts and our words before we speak them. He has great plans for us and what is lost is not just our whole lives but pieces that are stolen. So is it fair to say that some of the coin can not only represent people but it can represent the fullness of what he has for you? And we can go, well, sure, that's been rescued and that's enough. 
But what it sounds like is that God's going, no, I want you to have the fullness because that's what he can and wants to bring to you as a person. Ponder that. And then the question is, what are you missing and what have you lost? The process of discipleship is the bringing together of the fractured pieces of who God has created us to be, to bring it into a whole. And most don't see the process through because of the careful and intense nature of the search. He's not going to be done until it's brought to wholeness. That's intense. He is single-minded and he will not be done until he has pieced you back together again. God is about bringing us into completion and if we don't give up, God will find for us more than we even understood that we had lost. Can I ask the worship guys to come up, please? The final point that I want to make about it is celebration. Now, I vaguely remember saying at the start of the year when I was given the the prophetic uh, sense about the year of the re, that if you in this year have something read back to you, you go through something and it's restored back to you, celebrate, throw a party, get some of your friends around and actually physically celebrate it. And this is what the parable says. And when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found the lost coin. And Jesus said, that's what happens in heaven. The angels threw a party. I'm sure the spirit's there, maybe the father's on the decks. And they celebrate the fact that a life has been saved and what was lost has been found. God celebrates, throws a party, gets his friends together and, and celebrates that he's found what's been lost. So here's a question for you. What do you need to celebrate that you find? Or who has been found or what has been found that was lost in you? The, coin, the lost coin is bookended by the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And in all three, celebration is a key and major part of the process of finding. So if we are not celebrating what was lost and is found, then we are not actually completing the process of what it means to find something. Can I ask you to stand with me? And let's make a response about this this morning. So the questions this morning are these. Do you need to acknowledge what has been stolen killed and destroyed in your life? Do you have to acknowledge or do you need to acknowledge what's been lost and those that have been lost in your life? Secondly, do you need to receive the hope today that even though the enemy works to kill, steal and destroy, that Jesus comes to you and to us, to you personally right now to bring life and life in all its fullness? And then finally, do you need to celebrate what God has found and what you have found with him and have through a party and enjoy the fact that it's come back? If you can answer yes to any of those questions, then please come and join me right now at the front. We're going to worship for a time and then Andrew's going to lead us in response. You have been listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. Remember to check us out at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk and have a great week.